Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. I'm Bobby Sylvester, joined by a guest today, and Mike Taglier, as always. Tags, what's up, man? Oh, it's it, it's good, man. It's um, it's an episode that I was looking forward to. Uh, we have an yeah. awesome guest today, and uh, I wanted to share. I wanted to do storytelling time um, because we've had some good uh, water cooler talk on the show the last few uh, weeks. So I want to keep that going, and I think today's guest would uh, would kind of appreciate the topic I want to talk about. I'm looking forward to hearing what this is about. Uh, our guest today is co-owner of FootballGuys.com, Sigmund Bloom. You can find him on Twitter at his name, Sigmund Bloom. Sig, thanks for coming to the show. Oh, it's good to be back. Always good to join you all. And I think this is a good time for doing these shows because it's still two months until training camps open, but we all have a lot on our minds. I think we're in question mode more than answer mode, and, and that makes yes. for some great discussions. Absolutely. All right. So tags, what do you have for us, man? All right. So, you know, like you live in a, I live in a sports town. I, I live in Chicago. So obviously there's commercials all the time. And I, I know everybody where they live, they get different commercials. But when it comes to your sports team, like right now, the White Sox, people are they're, they're doing commercials, trying to get people to go to the park. So, you know, when you see that same highlight over and over, like Michael Jordan jumping over Craig Elo and pumping his fist, uh, like LeBron James, you know, a, a buzzer beater that he had. So with the White Sox, it's Robin Ventura hitting a walk off grand slam in a game. And the, the story I had to tell was because I've seen it a couple times recently. Recently, I thought that everybody would enjoy this story. So I was actually at that game, but I did not see the Grand Slam. So it's kind of like a weird topic for me because my dad growing up, we'd always go to, to ball games, whether it be basketball, baseball, whatever. And we were actually at that game. The Sox, I think, were down seven runs uh, going into the eighth inning. So he was just like, guys, let's get out of here. And it's something that I do as a dad, too, where it's like, all right, if they're yeah. down, let, let's beat the traffic out of here. Let's get out of here. I, to this day, it sticks with me that I was at that game, we left, and I seen the fireworks going as we're on the interstate leaving the, you know, the park. So it was just like, has any, has that ever happened to anybody, like such an historic moment leaving the stadium? And what would you, what do you do as a parent? You know, do you, do you stay for the whole game just in case something like that does happen? I'm, I'm, I'm lost on this one, guys. Far worse happened to me, Okay. A lot of people don't know this because I don't like to admit it, but it's time to come out with it. I had tickets to World Series Game 6 where David Freeze hit the home run uh, to win it, send it to Game 7, one of the best baseball games of all time. And uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a rain delay earlier in the series, and uh, it, it just, I don't remember exactly what happened, but it mixed up the schedule, and so I couldn't go. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with my kids. Like, we usually we live in, like, the sixth inning because it's just the end of the world, but, <laughs> yes. um, you know... As far as it comes down to for me, like, I mean, my kids are young enough, they're not going to remember it all. And I would so much rather just be home and not be dealing with that than, so, than so, see some memorable moments. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's just like, I, I wonder about that because I still wish that I would have been there for it. But Sig, you're a dad. How do, like, how do you handle this situation? Would you leave with your kid, at, you know, if it's going into the eighth inning, they're down by seven, eight runs? Well, without, see, this could go on so many tangents. Yeah. And I just want to say for like the seven people out there that are listening that will get this, I was thinking about when I left the fish show in Camden in 2009 to beat the traffic and they played a three song encore and I missed run like an antelope and I heard it from the parking lot. Oh, that's awful. Um, and I'm reminded when you say this, by the way, too, about the, uh, seeing all the brake lights leaving Dodger Stadium as Kurt Gibson hit that home run oh. in the World <laughs> Series. And that's just California crowds for yeah. you. But I think that and I think what Bobby says speaks to the larger point is once you have children, 
all of a sudden, whether you get to see the end of the game or not, or who won or not becomes less important. And it becomes more important to just lower your aggravation stress level and keep yourself maintained. And this is now when this turns into a parenting podcast. So I, I think the, I think the real answer is that once you have kids and you're spending time with your kids, the world becomes a little more of the background and managing exactly. your kid is in the foreground. Yeah, I don't regret it at all. I think it's uh, it's the best way to go, and it's important, and uh, I love it. Good so point. It's my favorite hobby. That's why I want to talk to you guys to to work me through this. So I'm, I'm, I'm I understand yeah. more now because uh, I've never had to make that decision as a dad. Like we usually do leave early, but I've never left a game where something significant has happened. So yeah, interesting topic. All right, guys. So uh, today we're going to cover wide receiver rankings, just like we did in last show, except wide receivers this time instead of running backs. We'll discuss which ones we think the industry is too high on, which ones we think the industry is too low on. Uh, but first, I saw that Jordan Reed is active in drills and looks good. Take it or leave it, Tags. The Redskins should leave Jordan Reed covered in bubble wrap and not touch him until two weeks before the regular season. <laughs> I think he's got to build some chemistry with his new quarterback. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they're going to take it easy. He's a, he's a player that's never played, I think, more than 14 games. It might even be more than 12 games. Uh, but he, he's missed a lot of time. So he's someone where if you're drafting him in best ball leagues, you know, if you get 10 games out of him, you're pretty happy because those 10 games are going to give you more than most tight ends would. Uh, so yeah. it's good to see him on the field. Last year, I was avoiding him like the plague just because... You know, when you walk in with a foot injury, foot injury for pass, foot injuries for pass catchers is like the worst thing ever. So just stay away from those players. So it's good to see him back on the field for sure. Zig, is this kind of like what's going on with Andrew Luck right now? Like we have no idea if Jordan Reed's going to play zero games, eight games, 15 games somehow. Um, if Jordan Reed plays the full season, though, like you've got a top two or three or four tight end, which is a really big deal. Is this a risk worth taking in drafts? He's going like tight end 10 right now. Exactly. So I think that the risk has been overpriced into the cost, especially when you look at his peers. And if we just actually did some sort of analysis where we said percentage chance that uh, a tight end finishes in the top three or is tight end number one or is tight end five or is in the top 10 or in the top 15. And we could even add another layer to this of on a per game basis, because that's one thing you know about Jordan Reed is that every game that he's anything but a dicey game time decision, unless you have Gronk or Kelsey or, or maybe Ertz, he's going to be your starting tight end. And if you do have one of those guys, maybe he'll be your flex. And, and maybe it's a, a, a strategy tangent. If you take Gronk or Kelsey early, it isn't a bad idea to take Reed in the ninth or 10th round because A, you would have trade bait or, or B, you would deny one of your competitors an opportunity to match the advantage that you have yeah. at tight end. So I, I think that, and going back to the original question about should they just bu put him in bubble wrap? I, I think they shouldn't. And Tags being a great point about chemistry with Alex Smith. But also, before last year's disaster happened, it seemed like Reed was turning the corner a, a bit because they signed him to an extension, a pretty big dollar extension, which seemed a bit curious with his concussion history, with his injury history. Yeah. But he did play through some nagging injuries and play well through those nagging injuries. Because when we talk about injury prone for players, it isn't just do they show up on the injury report or do they miss time? It's can they play at or near their normal level while they're playing through injuries? And Reed was doing that. That's why his ADP last year was in the third or fourth round going in, even though we got a little bit of ominous news about his toe. And we want to know that the surgery took, uh, we want to know that he can get through a sustained number of practices without aggravating in injuries or having any new injuries. And then hopefully that contributes to the, the mental side of, of avoiding uh, being injury prone or avoiding missing time. 
And and I do think there's a mental side of of injuries that when a player is already playing hurt, he, he can get out of his typical way of playing, yeah. which actually makes him more likely to have what Gene, Doctor Gene Bramwell would call a cascade injury. I don't know if Reed's ever going to be to that point though. Like, is he going right. to be playing hurt the rest of his career? It, it it feels that way, but I do think that where the rubber meets the road for fantasy football, the risk reward proposition in the ninth or tenth round, and we could say that this whole all of this could also apply to Tyler Eifert. Um, and I think the market has over uh, compensated, Agreed. and the chances that Eifert and Reed can be sustained every week contributors to your team are much higher than the tight ends around them in your draft. Definitely agree. And, you know, here's what it comes down to. He was being drafted last year, what, 40, 45 overall? And everyone in the industry, uh, at least all the experts that I respect, um, thought that that was way too high. Not way too high, but like should have gone around 60. And now he's going around, what, 110, 120? And the injury risk hasn't changed whatsoever. He's still the same person. It's just been one year longer. So if he's not going around 70, 80, I think that it's too low. Uh, we're going to be talking tight ends here in a little bit, but it was just a nugget I wanted to bring up since it was relevant news. All right, the other news, uh, and I guess it's also not as exciting, uh, Brandon Marshall finally signed. It's with the Seahawks. Uh, Sigmund, if, if Marshall were available to you in the last round of your draft, would you even draft him then, or does he have absolutely zero value in a standard league? I wouldn't draft him. And, and some of this is because when he was with the Giants last year, he just looked washed up. He he looked like somebody who didn't have any game left. The other thing is it, it's worth probing because the Seahawks have about 175 targets between Paul Richardson and Jimmy Graham that are up for grabs right. now. Now, Tyler Lockett's the guy that you should be targeting that's going to grow from those. But uh, maybe this would affect Jerome Brown status as a late round sleeper, or maybe if you are looking deep at tight end and want someone like Ed Dixon or, or Nick Vanette, um, especially those two tight ends, because Marshall gives them that big wide receiver that they don't really have among their group. But I'm not even sure that it's Marshall will make the team at this point. Great point. Yep. And then you got Brian Schottenheimer saying, we're going to run, <laughs> we're going to run when they know we're going to run. They got DJ Fluker. They got a blocking tight end in the draft. They got a first round running back. So, you know, poor Russell Wilson. No offensive line, though. It doesn't It doesn't matter. You don't need an offensive line if you want to run and win. win well, uh, when I mean, you know I mean run. guys, to be fair, when you have Will Disley, obviously you want to run the ball instead of throw at Russell Wilson. I mean, let's be real about it. <laughs> Hopefully my sarcasm came across to listeners. Um, I'm with Sig, actually. Is this like a a Tavon Austin situation where they say he's going to touch the ball 20 times? No. And uh, and really, we all know that that's not true? No. And actually, I wrote a blurb on uh, Marshall earlier today uh, because it came out that he not only had ankle surgery, he had foot surgery, a toe surgery this offseason to repair an injury that he had back from 2015 when he was, uh, I want to say, it was still with the Jets that year. Um, But yeah, Brandon Marshall now, he's uh, 34 years old, you know, going to a Seahawks team that they don't need a slot receiver. Brandon Marshall is of the age where most wide receivers that are the bigger physical ones will move to the slot like a Larry Fitzgerald, like a Jordy Nelson's going to do this year. And, you know, they're going to become that possession style receiver. I'm sorry, Doug Baldwin's not moving out of the slot. That's not happening. He's he's probably the best slot receiver in the game. So to talk about Brandon Marshall on the perimeter, playing against some of the best cornerbacks in football, because, you know, you talk about their division, you have Patrick Peterson there, the Rams have overhauled everything. Like Brandon Marshall's not I'm not convinced he makes the team, and I don't know why they signed him, to be honest with you. I think Des Bryant would have been a better signing for them. And on top of that, Brandon Marshall, at his press conference, when he started talking about, you know, when he was signed with the Seahawks, he said that, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not in great shape. I need to get back in football shape and need to do this. I'm not feeling great. When you're his age, 
you know, trying to work your way Yikes. back from multiple injuries. Yeah, yeah, seriously, just avoid Brandon Marshall right now. It's just a, it's a. I'll interject here and say, and I'm going to mention Dr. Gene for the second time. He says that players always inflate like when they say they're 75% back from injury or 90%. They're always inflating that. Players are always overstating how well they're doing. That's bad. <laughs> so it's a red flag when he says he's not doing well. Yo. Yeah, for sure. And what does that tell us about Des Bryant, right? That they passed him up? I don't, I, I don't get it. I mean... I think no one's going to pay him what he wants right now, and he's going to have to come to the harsh reality that he's going to have to take like a one-year, $3 million deal somewhere. Okay, so we're going to go into our thoughts on about uh, 15 wide receivers here in a moment. But first, I want to remind you all, we're drawing a name to give away a signed Todd Gurley jersey this weekend. Pristine Auction gave us a signed Gurley jersey to give away, and all you have to do to sign up is take 30 seconds, subscribe, then review our podcast on iTunes, take a screenshot, send it to us at contest at fantasypros.com. Okay, guys, so this is how it's going to work. We're all going to be looking at expert consensus rankings where, you know, we've got 45 experts from around the industry. Their rankings are thrown together to see where the average expert ranking is on each player. So first, we're each going to pick three wide receivers that we think are being overvalued by ECR, then three that we think are undervalued. Sig, we'll let you go first. Who's one wideout in the industry that is being overvalued? Tyreek Hill. Mm -hmm. Just because... I don't see if he did what he did last year, he would probably be valued just about right or maybe even slightly undervalued. But he was competing on the other side with Chris Conley or Demarcus Robinson or you know Albert Wilson once he was healthy for targets. Now now it's Sammy Watkins. Chiefs gave Sammy Watkins 30 million guaranteed. Now he was more of a decoy or someone used to cancel out that number one corner and allow the quarterback to exploit better matchups for the Rams. But I don't necessarily expect that that is why they gave him 30 million guaranteed. And it's probably part of the reason the Rams didn't uh, choose to franchise Watkins and attempt to keep him. So I I just see Hill and Watkins, it's Watkins necessarily undervalued. I don't know. Maybe both Hill and Watkins, should, maybe Watkins should be going a little bit higher, a Hill a lot lower, if we expect them to have roughly the same role in the offense. Uh, and, and I guess that's the other question here is if you think that Watkins lost something that he's never going to get back from his foot troubles, and he really will be, even though the Chiefs don't expect him to be, he really will be more of the decoy, then perhaps that Hill pick could work out. Uh, but that's the only way I see it working out. Yeah, the Hill one, I, it blows my mind. But I'm going to give an insight here. I, I, I actually started some research on an article I'm going to be doing soon, uh, one that I did last year in terms of uh, red zone eth- or efficiency for wide receivers because not every target is equal, right? Like where if you get a target between the 20s, it's worth you know X amount of fantasy points. If you get one inside the 20, inside the 10, inside the 5, yada, yada. Looking at that, I've kind of gone through it and I've already seen – Tyreek Hill scored 60 more, roughly 60 more fantasy points than he should have based on where he was targeted on the field. Now, granted, he's a better than average uh, efficiency wide receiver. I understand that, but he it was by That's far and come away down. the most in the NFL. We've talked about his efficiency on the show. Uh, going through and looking at KC, on a team with no other wide receivers last year, like seriously, they were playing Demarcus Robinson, a guy who hadn't played many snaps before. You know, they were playing him as their number two receiver. On a team like that, he saw 105 targets. Exactly. You add Sammy Watkins into the mix. I know people are saying that Patrick Mahomes, they're going to throw the ball more. I, I actually agree with you on that fact, but Andy Reid's not going to have a essentially what is a rookie quarterback in Patrick Mahomes drop back 600 times. That's not going to happen. You could see, you could talk about an increase of 40, 50 attempts, but where, where are we taking those from in order to get Sammy Watkins his, you know, at least 70, 80 targets? You don't pay him $50 million in free agency to bring him in to see 60 targets. Yeah, to see Chris Conley and Demarcus Robinson and targets and here's the thing like sure they might throw the ball more 
but he's not going to throw the ball as well as an MVP candidate like Alex Smith. Alex Smith was one of the best, most efficient passers in, in the NFL last year. He was the best deep ball passer in the NFL last year. If Tyreek Hill gets 100 targets this season in that offense, he's not going to do anything. I, I'm not, I'm not that he's not going to do anything. He's not a wide receiver one. Right now, he's number 11 in ECR. Sammy Watkins is 30. I've got them 22 and 25, respectively. Yeah, and on top of that, his schedule is the absolute worst among wide receivers. And, I, you know, while others, you can talk about other positions, but I'm talking about, I look at cornerback matchups, and I've went through the entire schedule. And so he's going to face the Chargers twice, who have a just nasty cornerback duo. Uh, you're going to play them twice. He's going to play Jacksonville. He's going to play against Patrick Peterson. He's going to play against the Rams, who have done a complete overhaul. He's got Denver a couple times. He has a brutal schedule. So, I mean, even if you want to sit here and say that his targets are going to be, you know, close to what they were, which if you get to 105, I'd be surprised his efficiency is not going to be where it was with the schedule that he has so yeah I'm I'm with Sig on this one there's no way that Tyreek Hill should be drafted as a top 12 wide receiver you know I uh I was going to put Tyreek Hill number one and I wrote it down initially in my notes and I was like who am I joking like if Sig doesn't bring him up tags is going to bring him up and I'm sick of tags and I just saying the same person every single time so (laughs) I just left him off my list but for what it's worth Tyreek Hill is my clear-cut number one and you know I actually expect the industry to come down on him quite a bit Probably not enough, though. I'll have zero shares, and I hope that everyone listening has zero shares of Tyreek Hill this year. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like in best ball leagues, if you want to take a shot, because he'll have some big weeks. But yeah, in redraft, I think you're going to be disappointed overall. All right, Tags, who's your first guy, man? All right, so mine's not in any, any particular order. I kind of just went down the you know the ECR in terms of the highest to the lowest guy, and um, a lot of people are going to be mad at this one, but I'm going to say DeAndre Hopkins. I think he's being overvalued right now. Um, and you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of DeAndre Hopkins, the player. Like, I think he's one of the, he's got insane body control. His hands are solid. Once it gets in the red zone, it's like you put it in his area. He typically comes down with it. With that being said, last year was one of the most efficient seasons that we've ever seen from a quarterback with Deshaun Watson, the touchdowns, DeAndre Hopkins over the last five years, his 11.6 targets per game that ranked fifth most in the last five years. So he was getting targeted a ton. We know that, you know, that's no secret. Will Fuller is obviously going to be back on the field. Kiki QT is already turning heads and Sig. I think the last time we had you on him, Sig and I were raving about Kiki QT and that we're big fans of his. I I didn't love the landing spot because there's so many other targets there, but QT is already turning heads at training camp and OTAs. Uh, He's, he's a baller. Um, But Hopkins. So to give you an idea, yes, he led the league last year uh, among wide receivers, but his 213 fantasy points that he scored, that would have ranked 14th among wide receivers over the last five years. So it, it was really a down year for wide receivers overall, and it took some crazy efficiency out of his quarterback for that to even happen with getting you know massive targets. Let's not forget that DeAndre Hopkins, just a year, if you go back a year, he saw tons of targets and finished outside the top 30 wide receivers. So I'm not saying that I'm, I'm, I'm DeAndre Hopkins isn't worth a, a late first round, early second round pick, because that's the area I, I have him as a, a early second round pick. But people have him at number two wide receiver and they have him in the middle of the first round. I'm not touching him there. I think that's his ceiling. I've got him as my wide receiver number four, number 11 overall. And uh, remember, his target share actually went up when Watson got hurt. Yeah, he actually scored more fantasy points per game with Tom Amazing. Savage, which is kind of crazy, but it, it actually did happen. But uh, Sig, where are you at on this? Do you think that Hopkins being a little overvalued? No, I'll actually go counter and say that he's valued just right, mid-first round pick. And you already brought up one of the important points here is it wasn't just Deshaun Watson. With TJ Yates, too, uh, he was 
a wide receiver, a high wide receiver one. Now he was a, a weak tilter on your team. Uh, it, it really, if we look back at 2016, it was Brock Osweiler. You know, it was like in terms of clue, like it was Brock Osweiler in Reliant Stadium with, with uh, his right arm. And that, that's what murdered DeAndre Hopkins' value. But then you go back to 2015. And, well, there's DeAndre Hopkins again as an elite wide receiver, one with uh, Brian Hoyer. We don't know how good he can be with Deshaun Watson over a whole season yet. And we don't know how good this offense can be yet. I'm excited about Bill O'Brien saying, now I can install an offense for Deshaun Watson. Remember, they did this all on the fly last year. Stubbornly, for some reason, they wanted Tom Savage to remain the starter <laughs> and all offseason. I I, what was the story about? Like, Watson barely took any first-team snaps in camp. They didn't even prepare for the contingency, the possibility of Watson becoming the starter. So I'm excited about... One of the things I really like in drafts is unknown upside. I like not. I like it when we can say we don't know how good this player can be. This would be like Todd Gurley last year. Like, we don't know how good Todd Gurley can be with Andrew Whitworth and John Sullivan and, and an actual competent play caller, et cetera, et cetera. I feel that way about DeAndre Hopkins, and he's only twenty five. His he's actually twenty twenty six this week, uh, but he's on the ascendant part of his career. So I'm fine with investing in him at his cost. I'm never going to downplay the uh, introduction of Kiki Cutie to the conversation. And it is possible maybe that if Fuller stays healthy all year and Cutie is as good as, as some of us expect him to be, that that might actually be the limiting factor just because when you play Jacksonville, you're not going to you're gonna say, okay, fine, we won't throw to Hopkins because we've got guys like a Cutie on the inside that can still hurt you. So it's possible, but I'm fine with him. So real quick, I want to I want to ask, is the upside with Devontae Adams not higher than DeAndre Hopkins? It might be the same. I mean, I, I think that certainly there's an argument for Adams finishing in the top five this year because of the lack of proven targets in Green Bay and what he did, much similar to Hopkins. Like, what look what he did with Brett Hundley. You know, what can he do in a whole season? So I, I think that absolutely Adams deserves discussion as an undervalued guy. Gotcha. That's why I wanted to make sure because I, I felt like you can get him like around at least one round, if not two rounds later, because uh, I see him going late second, early third. Um, and then if you wanted to, you can grab one of the most workhorse running backs. The middle of the first is what that, that's basically what I'd rather do. That's the, that's the reason because I have Hopkins as my number five receiver. So I'm not okay. like crazy down on him or anything. It's just I just feel like he's being a little overvalued where he's at. For me, I think the limiting factor is Watson. And we've talked about this pretty extensively, so we're not going to go into it again. But um, and also, you know, I just can't see drafting him over Odell Beckham or Julio Jones. I, I can't do it. I'm sorry. Yeah, Julio, um, you know, I think uh, some people are letting him fall into the second round. And I think it's a mistake because uh, if you look at it, I, last year was essentially Julio Jones's floor. Julio Jones has never done what DeAndre Hopkins is, where he had 151 targets and finished outside the top 30 receivers like that. If Julio Jones is healthy for 16 games, you know, you're getting a, like a top six receiver like that's that's happening. And like I said, that last year was his absolute floor. And it goes back to the the, the saying where you can't win your draft in the first round, but you can definitely lose it. So uh, Julio, as long as he remains healthy, I think he's a safe late first round pick. You know, everyone thinks he's so injury prone too, and that's just uh, not really the case. He plays through injuries and everything, but yeah, uh, last four seasons finished wide receiver eight, wide receiver two, wide receiver six, wide receiver six. <laughs> that's exceptional. All right, my number one guy here is T.Y. Hilton, and uh, here's the thing about T.Y. Hilton: this is unbelievable. He was not a flex play that's a top 45 receiver or better in 11 out of 16 games last year. And I know Andrew Luck was gone, but even if Luck comes back, are we willing to say this is a wide receiver one? 
Yes. I actually think that right now, now the variable here is the percentage chance that Luck's going to be okay. And we just barely touched on that when we were talking about Jordan Reed. And it's scary. And where the Luck and Reed situations are different, are we don't have any information on Andrew Luck, really. Um, and it's, it's ominous that he hasn't thrown a ball yet. And it's, it's certainly possible that this year is going to go exactly like last year and believing anything but that is silly. However, put whatever stock you want into off-season OTA reports, but T.Y. Hilton from all reports sounds like he's ready to have, at least from the things that he can control, the best year of his career. Now, the last time we saw him, he was a wide receiver one in 2016, and that was with Andrew Luck playing with a, a bum shoulder. So it's possible Luck could be better. Um, I think that Another exciting thing about T.Y. Hilton this year is much like I was referring to with the Rams. You know, now you've got Frank Wright and Nick Sirianni. You've got a, a possibility. You had Quentin Nelson hopefully firming up this offensive line, gives them a little more flexibility inside. And, and hopefully uh, a, an offense that is getting a lot more out of what Andrew Luck can provide, even an Andrew Luck in the Chad Pennington part of his career, than what we saw before. I think even in the worst-case scenario, where Andrew Luck doesn't play again this year, things will get better than they were with Jacoby Brissett last year. I think Jacoby Brissett's going to improve. I think that T.Y. Hilton, in the right situation, could probably produce in the top five. He was, depending on your scoring system, a top five receiver. He caught 91 for 1448 in 2016. So I think that if Andrew Luck is okay, and even 80 or 90% of what he was before his injury, and let's face it, he probably was 80-90% of what he is while he was playing Hurt in 2015 and 2016, and Hilton's already shown that he can produce as a wide receiver one. If you can get him in the third round, I'll take that. He could. He could. He's been a top 20 wide receiver two out of four seasons, though. Well, that's the thing. So during his time he played with Locke, I have him here. Uh, he finished in between the wide receiver five and the wide receiver 24 every season, which is, is it's more consistent than I thought it would have been because uh, I know Hilton's up and down. And looking at his uh, overall boom and bust numbers, he's actually over his career. He's only posted wide receiver two or better numbers 43% of the time. Now, it's not a terrible percentage, but it's more in line with Bobby. I think it comes down to when we're talking about that, you know, that that 10 to 12, 10 to 15 wide receiver range. It's like a dark area. Like once you get past Doug Baldwin, like and Keenan Allen and AJ Green, that tier, it's like wide open. You know, Allen Robinson is being valued a little bit below where I think he should be. I think his ADP is like wide receiver 18. Uh, Expert consensus is 16. I have him at 12. But T.Y. Hilton is in that conversation because of what he's done over the years and like giving Luck the little bit benefit of the doubt. But if Luck doesn't come back, obviously that's that's going to knock him down my draft board because last year. I don't even know if I wanted to wanted him as a wide receiver three because I think that there were like three or four games all season where he was actually usable. So it, it really comes down to the fact that there's, I mean, who are you taking over him here? I mean, it's like you get to Tyreek Hill, you get Stevon Diggs, Amari Cooper. None of these guys are like a sure thing. So you're talking about a guy who's been there before he's done that. So I think that's ideally he's your, your number two wide receiver. But if you take a couple running backs in the first two rounds and then you grab T.Y. Hilton in the third, I don't think it's the worst thing. I'm definitely taking Tate over him. Golden Tate? Yeah, Golden Tate. Not in a standard, I wouldn't, but in a PPR. PPR probably, yeah, but in a standard, I wouldn't, though. Uh, Demarius Thomas has been better than him every single year of their careers except for once. I think I'd take Demarius Thomas over him as well now that he has a competent quarterback. Yeah, again, that's that's one of he's one of those players in that tier, like the Alshons, the the Marvin Jones, Demarius Thomas, like those guys. You could say that they're safe. Like Demarius Thomas is a safe player. Like he's a safe wide receiver too. I just don't think he comes with the upside that someone like T.Y. Hilton does. 
All right, guys, we're going to get into round two here in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about the sponsor of today's show, Draft.com. Tags and I have been loading up on uh, these best ball drafts where you draft 18 players, uh, an 18-player roster now or whenever you want. Then each week, Draft.com takes the best possible lineup, puts it up against the other teams in your league. No trades, no waiver wire, no lineup setting. All you have to do is draft, so you can do like 50 teams if you want, and drafting is the best part of fantasy sports. Then you watch the results roll in, if you have the best score at the end of the year, you win real money. Anyways, if you want to give this a try, and believe me, it is awesome, go to fantasypros.com slash offer. All you have to do, deposit $10 to draft.com, which you can win real money with, by the way, and you'll get a six-month upgrade to our highest premium package at fantasypros.com. That's going to give you access to our draft kit and full access to Draft Wizard, which is up and ready to go on the site right now. If you're ready to start prepping for your league or just want to have some fun, use the Draft Wizard. It's a blast. It's going to carry you right through fantasy football season, and all you have to do is just deposit $10 to Draft.com using the site fantasypros.com slash offer. All right, so round number two, uh, Sig, who are you going with? Sorry if I'm taking the low-hanging fruit from y'all. <laughs> Josh Gordon. <laughs> I mean... I get it. And fantasy football moves fast. And I guess maybe four or five years ago isn't that long when he was in that rarefied air. Like, But it's been a long time. And he didn't look like quite that player last year. You had Jarvis Landry. You know that Duke Johnson's going to get his 180, 90, 100 targets. You have an ascendant, David Njoku. Corey Coleman, if he can stay healthy. You also have Tyrod Taylor. He doesn't strike me as the highest volume passer out there. Or if it's Baker Mayfield, you're playing with a, a rookie quarterback. And uh, I, I, it's very hard for me to see a path that Josh Gordon has to satisfy his cost. Yeah. And you know, right now he's uh, ECR number 20. I'd be willing to bet he gets drafted in the top 15 wide receivers this year for in terms of ADP. What do you think, Tags? Uh, that's probably where you're probably right, Bobby, because people want to draft Josh Gordon because they have this nostalgia. And there's all these pictures out there of him being jacked. Like he's the strongest person in the world. So is Christian McCaffrey too. And that's why he's going to be a workhorse, right? Uh, no, but in in reality though, I have, uh, so it's funny you mentioned this thing because I have Josh Gordon and Jarvis Landry at the same thing. Like I have them, my overvalued list. I have two groups of wide receivers, actually Gordon and Landry are being overvalued. I think Landry is too, even at wide receiver 25, I have him down wide receiver 36. Um, and then I also have the Vikings wide receivers as overvalued in terms of there's no way that both of these guys are going to finish there. Like Adam Thielen, the wide receiver 12, Stefan Diggs, the wide receiver 14. And the reason I'm saying this about them the reason I'm saying this about the Browns receivers is because of a stat that I came across earlier um, there were just three teams in the NFL last year with two wide receivers with over 96 targets can you guys even name who the can you guys name who those teams were three teams with two wide receivers over 96 targets they have to be wide receivers over 96 targets huh it was so one team was Detroit, obviously, you know, Marvin yeah. Jones and yep. Uh, Minnesota. Uh, no, actually, Minnesota did not make the list. Stephon Diggs was at 95 targets, uh, but Miami and uh, the Jets. Those were the three teams. <laughs> I mean, it's like never guessed the Jets. <laughs> exactly. That's what's crazy about it, right? They had Robbie Anderson and, and Jermaine Kerr. So they were really top heavy offenses. But the Browns, like this one, I want to hammer home because the Browns, they have the same head coach, right? And when you have the same head coach, things are not going to drastically change. Uh, like moving forward with so many pass attempts, right? They did bring in Todd Haley. I understand that. But the bigger piece is they brought in Tyrod Taylor, a guy who has never thrown the ball 450 times in a season. 
Okay, last year, Cleveland's leading target getter, 61 targets among wide receivers. They're number two, 57. They're number three, 50. And they were playing from behind all the time. Exactly. Last year, their pass attempts, they ranked ninth in the NFL in pass attempts last year. Do you think that they went out and got Carlos Hyde and they drafted Nick Chubb to throw the ball, you know, 600 times again? They did not. They're going to run the ball more than they ever have. And because of that, the target share is going to come down. It, it's so bad. Like Tyrod Taylor is never going to lock on to just one receiver in that offense. It's going to be a mess. And Gordon's going to have weeks. Landry's going to have weeks. But they are not going to be consistent options on your fantasy team. And where they're being drafted, they're being drafted as every week wide receiver twos. And that's just... Landry's come down a ton. And so I didn't even think to list him because he's at 25 now. I'm like, yeah, finally he's coming down. You're right. It is not nearly far enough. And Gordon, that's just laughable at 20. Like, you know, I, I want to hope uh, I I want to see him come back and just be amazing but wide receiver 20 folks that, that's higher than Brandon Cooks and Golden Tate no way yeah no it's 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 kind of mind-boggling honestly and Jarvis Landry he's averaged over 140 targets in his time with with Miami and granted they might use him differently but with the wide receiver core they have with Corey Coleman with Josh Gordon he's going to play the slot he's going to take some targets away from Duke Johnson Duke Johnson is another one who's being overvalued right now it's just there's only so many targets to go around and when you actually do projections you sit down and you do them you'll 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 realize that it's hard to give any of these guys more than like 105 targets and that's essentially what you need to get into the top 20 receivers you need at least that many it's incredible it's incredible we're talking about the browns this way they don't have enough targets to go around all their weapons they have a good team and baker mayfield i have faith in him and i think next year it's very possible that we're talking about you know him producing a couple you know fantasy relevant wide receivers but tyrod taylor's starting for a while they didn't trade the first pick in the third round for mayfield to start week one all right, Tags, who's your uh, number two guy? So I mentioned Thielen and Diggs. Those guys are, I feel like, you know, so you're going to be disappointed with where you're drafting those guys. Uh, the efficiency out of Minnesota is really good. But uh, the next player I'll mention, I don't want to take the easy one in Juju Smith-Schuster because him at 22, I mean, we talked about it on the one show, our stat show, where he ranked outside the top 55 in targets per game last year. <laughs> we don't need to go into that. But um, Devin Funches as the number 28 wide receiver is is kind of crazy he's that high yeah i i was kind of i was shocked at that one and the reason i say that it people that listen to the show last year they know like i've gotten people say mike did you ever get props for your devin funches love last year and i was like no but it's fine as long as i helped you that's all that matters but devin funches was never going to be a true number one receiver like you wanted the targets with him the problem is that last year calvin benjamin was traded away okay greg olson was hurt they didn't have DJ Moore. You add in all these things, Christian McCaffrey, Greg Olson, DJ Moore, where are his targets coming from? Devin Funches, even with the great scenario that he had last year, in our weekly rankings, I remember Devin Funches was right around that wide receiver 24 to wide receiver 30 range every week, and that was fine. That's exactly where he belonged. But now you're telling me things haven't changed since they added DJ Moore and Greg Olson's coming back? I think that's nuts. Um, I have Devin Funches way down i want to say i have him at my as my number 39 or number 40 wide receiver yeah i've got him i've got him there as well i just checked he's number 40 and i'll tell you where the targets are coming from tags they're coming from cam newton which is not good all right my number two guy you know again i thought about mentioning juju we've talked about him so much this offseason we love him we're rooting for him i uh, don't think it's a good way to to draft him that high uh, my next guy though is will fuller um, he didn't prove start worthy in any of his last six games. And I understand that, uh, that Deshaun Watson wasn't there. And you all know how I feel about Deshaun Watson as well. But I mean, you remember Marvin Jones was great for a few weeks. 
than nothing. So why does Will Fuller's similar similar stretch mean that he's amazing? It was just a five-game sample size with uh, with Deshaun Watson. We talked about the touchdown regression. That's obvious. Um, you know, I think his ADP is actually going to be higher than where his ECR is right now because the experts get it. But I think the experts are still far too high on Will Fuller. Yeah, Sig, where are you at on Fuller? Because obviously you, you like Hopkins and you're high on him. I know you like QT like I do. And I, I was one to mention that the underlying thing like with them drafting Kiki QT is that it was going to negatively affect Will Fuller's potential upside. And I still stand by that. So I'm obviously with Bobby. I have Fuller down. He's like around my number 50 wide receiver range. I'm not, I don't consider, I, I think he would be a streamer worthy if, if, if Hopkins were to see, like, let's say that uh, you had an Arizona that had one shutdown corner that we knew Patrick Peterson was going to go on Hopkins. That's a week where I might say, yeah, Fuller's going to have a week. Um, but is he more, is he better than we're giving him credit for? I'm willing to take the chance at his ADP uh, because he was, and a lot of it's touchdown related, but still, it, even if he's not scoring two touchdowns a game, he had seven touchdowns in the four games with Deshaun Watson. Even if he's just scoring one touchdown, um, he will more than provide value return on what you have to pay for. And what I like about him or, or QT, and I, I would say this, if you don't like Will Fuller at his ADP, then you should be putting a 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th round pick away for Kiki Cutie because Deshaun Watson showed last year that he's going to think big when the play breaks down. He has the arm strength and the field vision to find that receiver deep. Some of the bucket throws he was making after being flushed from the pocket to Will Fuller were just astounding. So, there's going to be value there. And why I'm okay with taking Will Fuller at ADP is you're taking him not to be one of your core receivers. You're taking him as your third, fourth, fifth receiver. And I think around the fifth, sixth, seventh round of your draft, you're lowering the importance of risk and upping the importance of the reward. And we see what the reward is. Yes, it's a limited sample size, but let's be accurate. The The upside here, Will Fuller for those four weeks, I, I'm not sure exactly what he ranked. I'm guessing it was in the top, five or eight wide receivers. So even if he's just doing that as your flex or your wide receiver three and doing it every other week instead of every week, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with, and really there's a theme here. Like I'm fine with investing in the Houston offense, whether it's Lamar Miller or Deshaun Watson or any of the top three receivers, uh, Deontay Foreman. I think this is an offense where we're not sure how productive it can be. I don't think we can really say though that it's possible that it can be every other week. I mean, Keelan Cole was incredible for a five-week stretch, right? When Blake Bortles was the number one quarterback for five weeks, just like Deshaun Watson was for five weeks, Keelan Cole was the number one wide receiver in fantasy football during that time, and nobody's given him this this high praise like Will Fuller because he had the, the hot five weeks. It's just that Fuller's happened at the start, uh, and everyone forgets what happened at the end. I I just I, I can't draft Will Fuller unless it gets to like wide receiver 50. I, I know there's some upside there because he's a big play guy, but... Um, I don't think that the upside is, uh, unless we're willing to say that Keelan Cole has similar upside, and I'm not willing to do that. I think I, I would take Fuller over Keelan Cole uh, for sure. Um, and, and that's the thing is like I, I know that when we had Ratcliffe on the show too, we talked about the the small sample size with Deshaun Watson, and that we've seen quarterbacks, including Blake Bortles. I think you bring up a good point uh, is that we've seen stretches out of quarterbacks that have been really good, and I think that's where the community is really torn on Deshaun Watson. I think that a lot of people want to believe that that's who he is. That, but the, the, and then it comes back to reality where I had to admit I was wrong on my Deshaun Watson. You know, I obviously he turned into a much better quarterback than I thought he'd be. Even if you dial back the touchdowns, that's fine. He could still be a top three fantasy quarterback. I'm not denying that. But we do know the touchdowns are going to come back. We do know that there's a top dog in Houston, and it's not Will Fuller. So I think unless there's an injury to to DeAndre Hopkins, 
I think Will Fuller, it's hard for me to imagine him being a consistent wide receiver three, which is where the experts currently have him. And yeah, I, I understand for the upside, if you get him outside that range to have him on your benches, like someone who could turn into more. But uh, I just think that it comes down to how high you are on Watson. If you're high on Watson, then I understand moving uh, Fuller up the list, though. All right, Sig, we're moving on to uh, wide receiver number three here that is overvalued. Because of someone like Keelan Cole, uh, Marquise Lee, it, it's going to be a rotating cast each week among the wide receivers in Jacksonville. Best ball, fine. I'll I'll take Lee. I'll take Westbrook. I'll take Cole. But I'm I'm not touching any of them in in a in a league where I'm going to have to rely on them over uh, options I know are more stable. Tags, I'm guessing you don't like this one as much because uh, you seem to like Lee at least from our previous conversations. But I'm with Sig here. I don't want any of these Jags receivers, and it's not that I don't like them. Just um, there's so many of them. So I have Marquise Lee on my undervalued list. Uh, wide receiver uh, wide receiver 47. I, th- I think he's being undervalued. Uh, the Jags are one of the teams that actually that he has, he's going to play zero shutdown cornerbacks this year. He has none on his schedule. Um, and on top of that, I don't, I'm not a big Moncrief guy. I don't think that he's going to sim- all of a sudden just turn into something that he's never been with Andrew Luck. Uh, you know, D.D. Westbrook, you know, Keelan Cole, do I think that they're players? They're fine. But Marquise Lee is the one that they re-signed instead of Allen Robinson. He's, they're the one that, that they brought back. And if you look over the last two years uh, uh, among targets and wide receivers, I want to say Marquise Lee was, uh, he, I know he's in the top 30. It might be top 20 for targets wow. uh, over the last two years combined. So he's been getting the volume. And one of those years was with Allen Robinson on the team playing the entire season. So if Blake Bortles has, in fact, taken a step forward in his career, I think Marquise Lee is being undervalued as the number 47 wide receiver. Like personally, I would take Marquise Lee over Will Fuller today. Wow. Wow, man. Uh, 47 is pretty deep. I mean, yeah, I I think I'd take him right around 47. I'm looking at the guys around him. I'd I'd rather have Josh Doxson. Y'all know how I feel about him. Calvin Ridley, even as a rookie, I would take him. Mike Williams is interesting to me. Uh, Terrell Williams is way back there. He's at number 70. And I've got him ahead of him as well. So, um, you know, I think 47 is about right for Lee. So I don't I'm, I can't be the tiebreaker. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All right. Um, Bobby, did you have any more overvalue? Or- yeah, I've got I've got one more. Uh, you get to go first. I do need to correct something, though. Keelan Cole was not the number one fantasy receiver. He was number two right behind Tyreek Hill. So sorry, guys. I lied. Oh, <laughs> that changes everything. <laughs> Uh, but no, yeah. So I, honestly, like we already covered mine. Um, I'm I'm good right now because like a lot of them we had the same ones. I had Will Fuller on my list. Uh, Josh Gordon, I had him there. I had Tyreek Hill. So yeah, yeah. My other guy's Emmanuel Sanders and Tags. I think you share the same sentiment here. Um, his career is just it's kind of dwindling down. Last year he was wide receiver three or better just twice. I know they brought in help with uh, Case Keenum, but they also brought in help in the receiver core because they think that Sanders is done. So I'm not interested in him whatsoever. Yeah, his um his. His 2017 was very weak, um, bottomed out six yards per target, which is really, really low. It's the worst of his career. Um, but he did have 7.7 targets per game that ranked 17th among wide receivers. So I, I do think that he offers more upside than maybe you're giving him credit for. But I also don't believe he, he belongs at number 32. Like you're basically buying that built in that he's going to have massive increase in efficiency. And that's fine to expect some. But I think that by going up to number 32, I think he's also overvalued up there. Much rather have Chris Hogan, Cooper Cup, Jamison Crowder, Devontae Parker, the list goes on and on. So yeah, he's, he's not close to 32 for me. All right, guys, let's switch it up. We'll go the opposite direction. Players that are being drafted too low or that the experts are too low on at this point. Uh, Tags, we'll let you go first on this one. 
so this one is like uh, hands down and I'm, I'm really hoping his ADP stays where it's at. I'm hoping his uh, consensus stays where it's at because I'm going to take Devonte Parker. I haven't moved on yet. Um, Devonte Parker, former first round pick six foot three, 220 pounds. Um, you know, people talk about the fact that he's a bust. I don't think he's a bust because of the reason you think, I think it's been a health concern because there have been 25 games where he's played and he's seen at least five targets. In those games, he's averaged 68.2 yards, 0.3 touchdowns. Those are low-end wide receiver two numbers. Um, he did that with Jarvis Landry on the team, mind you. Who's wow, now man. Cleveland Brown, which we talked about. I just think it's rare. So I think Devontae Parker is locked in for 100 targets. By the way, you know I mentioned that. There were two wide receivers on Miami last year that had 105 or more targets. Did you know they were the only team that had three uh, wide receivers with more than uh, 83 targets? Or 88 targets, I'm sorry. They had... So 161 for Landry, 105 for Kenny Stills, 96 for Parker, and that was in uh, an abbreviated season. So Devontae Parker is essentially locked in for at least 100 targets, and I think there's a ceiling for 120 or 130 targets. If he's getting that many targets, I want him on my fantasy team. I think people are running too soon from this. He's been really good when he's on the field, and if he stays healthy, he's going to finish as a top 30 wide receiver with upside for more because obviously that's, that's why people were drafting him there the last couple of years. Those are some good stats, man. I uh, I had Parker on my list just in case you took my other guys. He wasn't the guy I was planning on talking about. But yeah, I'm with you on Parker. Uh, Sig, where do you stand? Are, are you on the opposite end on this one? No, I think it's a good one with Landry gone, whether it's Stills or, or Parker or Mike Jasicki. Somebody in Miami is going to outproduce their ADP. Yes, and it's possible that Danny Amendola does because they're not talking about him getting a lot of targets, but he's never held up to a big workload. Um, him and uh, Albert Wilson pretty much share the same position on the field, so you can't say that both those guys are going to produce unless they're running a whole bunch of four wide receiver sets because, well, it's just not going to happen. But yeah, Parker's the, he's like that alpha dog that you, like I said, you do not get to draft guaranteed 100 target receivers, you know, in the, where's he going right now in the seventh or eighth round? Like, that's just crazy. Well, you do, because Jameson Crowder's going there, too. Well, Jameson Crowder's undervalued as well. Yeah, yeah, big time. In fact, that's that's my <laughs> guy. I'm just going to jump in right now. Um, you know, Tags, I, I knew you were going to talk about Jameson Crowder, too, but I beat you to the punch this time. Um, <laughs> Alex Smith loves passing to guys like this. Uh, there's really not that much competition there. Doxon's the guy that uh, that teams cover with their their top cornerbacks. And, you know, I think Doxon is more talented, but Crowder fits in this offense into the scheme that Alex Smith uh, prefers to play a little bit better. He's still so young, too. Like, he's been getting better each year, even when people think that he's not going to get any better. He's going as wide receiver 38 last year. That's too low for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, Sig, where are you at on Jamison Crowder? Um, he's been one I've, I've been banging the drum all offseason saying buy him in Dynasty, buy him wherever you can because his value will increase this year. Washington's offense in general, I think we might be underestimating yeah. uh, because of how well Alex Smith played. Alex Smith, I mean, we could just go across the board here. And some pass catcher, we talked about Jordan Reed already. It could be Crowder. It could be Dawson. It could be Paul Richardson. Even Darius Geis in the backfield. This was a very productive backfield in 2016. They were racked by... Uh, injuries on the offensive line last year so this could be an extremely productive offense and absolutely when you think of Alex Smith and now I know there's some blurbs about oh he's throwing more contested catches trusting more his receivers more which would be especially good for Dawson because that's his game Crowder's the guy who's going to create the most separation and and get those free seven eight ten yard gains that Alex Smith likes to take yeah he's so good week to week too since week eight in half PPR and he's a lot better in PPR obviously he was a wide receiver one Wide receiver three, two, one, three. First time he wasn't out of three, and then two, two. Jameson Crowder was on fire at the end of last season. He just, every single week he comes to play. 
Yeah, Chris Thompson being out definitely helped um, pr- like boost those numbers. I'm not going to pretend that they didn't, but at the same time, we can't pretend that Chris Thompson's going to come back the same player from a broken leg. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, Sig, let's go with your first guy who is undervalued right now. Julian Edelman. I mean, he's going to get a ton of targets, uh, but there's three viable receivers in this offense. They might all three be undervalued in in Gronkowski and Hogan and Edelman. And I I just don't see how he's not around 100 catches or six, seven catches a game. I don't see how he's not going to return to that growing role in the red zone he had before his injury. And I, I would expect Julian Edelman to flirt with top 10, top 12 numbers. He's a ridiculous discount. So I think Edelman is being undervalued in PPR and standard. I'm, I don't feel like it's bad because if you if you go back to uh, when he played all 16 games in his age 30 season, he finished as the wide receiver 22, which which is fair in a, in a standard league. That's kind of that's where I kind of view Edelman's ceiling because he I mean, he's 32 coming off a torn ACL. That's not great. Um, you know, it is advanced age. Now, granted, Edelman is like this little grinder that just keeps coming back for more. So I don't want to write him off, especially with the chemistry that he has with Brady. Um, I have him closer to the ECR, uh, actually a little bit below the ECR, um, just because of of the advanced age. And just I think that Tom Brady is actually going to take a, a little step back this year. And that's I kind of built into my projection for him. So it's just that there's there's more risks than usual when it comes to age with Tom Brady and Julian Edelman. Uh, but I agree with you on Gronk. I think some people are starting to undervalue him where he could still produce. But um, I'm just worried about him coming off the injury at his uh, advanced age. Well, the thing with Gronk is that uh, I think he's the same player as he's always been. Uh, tight ends, you know, they mature later and everything like that. So I think Gronk is still within his prime. The difference is now he's competing with Travis Kelsey and uh, and Zach Ertz. They're right up there with him. Whereas in years past, it was just Gronk in the top tier. Maybe even just the second tier all by himself because no one was even close. And now they are. Yeah, no, I and that's the thing. The Patriots' offense it, it comes down to the one of the one thing I did notice when going through strength of schedule and, and looking at that stuff is that you know the Patriots do pay attention to that. Like where if a team is struggling in a certain area, the Patriots will attack it. It's it seems like common sense. I get it, but the Patriots are one of the teams that actually do that. And the Patriots their their schedule for the run game this year looks pretty solid. Um, so again, I just I I think we've already started to see Tom Brady kind of come down a notch. I know he he looked better in the playoffs but if you look over the final five or six games of 2017 Brady started to trend down a little bit um I don't know if Brandon Cooks fit the offense as much as Julian Edelman does and that's the thing is Edelman's always been that integral part uh, ever since like you know they lost Wes Welker so there's a lot of ifs about that but I think Edelman is one of the safer picks I think that's for sure as long as he could remain healthy obviously you know at his age but as a wide receiver three I'm, I'm fine with him there he's safer yeah but I mean we've seen it the best season he's ever had was wide receiver 19 so uh right now he's going 27 it's a little bit high for me uh, I've got him at number 30 but you know I'm not going to fault anyone for taking a safe guy there I think he's safer than pretty much everyone around him uh Michael Crabtree's safer uh, he's, I think he's safer than Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, Pierre Garçon, Corey Davis, obviously. So um, I don't think it's a bad pick at all. Yeah, I just think it comes down to who you're drafting in that range. Like Corey Davis would be someone that I would take over Edelman just because I know what the ceiling is. Yeah, like the agreed. ceiling's massive where it's like, you know, Edelman might be the safer pick. All right, Tags, who's your number two guy here? 
All right. Well, I'm going to mention um, two in the same uh, because they're both on the same team. Uh, Randall Cobb and Geronimo Allison. There you go. Uh, so if the Packers do not sign Des Bryant or Jeremy Macklin, seriously, like what are we doing? It's, it's so by the way, it's extremely hard to keep a secret in fantasy football nowadays. Like it. But Geronimo Allison is fantasy football's best kept secret right now. Somehow, some way he's going. He's, he's being drafted outside the top 80 wide receivers in ADP. His expert consensus ranking is number 75. This reminds me of Devin Funches last year. But I think Geronimo Allison is actually a better receiver than Devin Funches. Um, Allison, in the times that he's played with Rodgers, he's been really good. Um, So it's not like a talent thing where if you go back to his rookie season in 2016, those two connected a lot. I think on 22 targets, he had uh, 16 receptions for 200 yards, two touchdowns, something like that. He's going to play in two wide receiver sets with the best quarterback in football. Can you imagine if Adam gets hurt, by the way? Well, did we forget that, that James Jones scored 14 touchdowns in this offense with Aaron Rodgers? Like, James Jones ended up retiring, like, two years later. Did we forget <laughs> that? Like, I, I, I don't know. what's Did we see what happened to Jordy Nelson once Aaron Rodgers went down? Aaron freaking Rodgers, his number two and number three receiver. That's what I'm saying. Randall Cobb belongs in this re- conversation, too, because... He's the number 46 wide receiver in consensus, and Allison is the wide receiver 75, which, by the way, Green Bay, if you, uh, I was going through and looking at this, um, their targets for the wide receivers were, were much higher. So when you look at uh, like the top target getters, uh, it was 117 targets, 92, 88. So you know the wide receiver is an integral part of the offense. It's just, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to make them a lot more efficient. So yeah, Randall Cobb, Geronimo Allison is, is the steal of fantasy drafts right now. Yep, that was my next name as well, and I was going to mention Randall Cobb, but Geronimo Allison, I think that is an absolute gimme. Sig, how much do you think that his ADP is going to move up? Like, are people going to start realizing what's going on here? Probably not. I think that it's a good uh, late-round target, because even with all the rookies, and that's probably what will keep his ADP down, is the idea that they drafted all these receivers, and there's going to be a competition, but I think that the Packers system, they want them to learn all the wide receiver positions, they want them to really be ready, Uh, and Allison is that guy, and we saw what Allison did last year, I think, just in one game when Adams was out, Uh, so he can absolutely fit in there, And, and any receiver that Aaron Rodgers is throwing to. So if someone does go down Adams and his concussion issues, and then they're putting in, you know, Michael Clark, the basketball convert, or D'Angelo Yancey, or one of the rookies, anybody on the other end of Aaron Rodgers passes. And Sig, you mentioned it. So I I was right about the stats. The stats his rookie year, uh, 22 targets, 202 yards, two touchdowns. And by the way, I think it was that, that week that Adams missed. It was week three. Uh, Allison played with Rodgers, saw eight targets, caught six passes for 122 yards. All right, guys, here's my next one. And uh, I alluded to it earlier. I'm all aboard on the Julio Jones train. I know he's slipping into the second round for most. He's my number two wide receiver, though. I think he's, you know, everyone talks about the foot injuries, the durability uh, up and down every week. And he's right there in terms of games played, uh, in terms of, you know, non-wide receiver two performances with Antonio Brown, like right on his back. Um, so Julio Jones, I think he's safe week to week. Uh, I don't really buy the injury-prone narrative that's going on here. And here's the thing that's holding him back, right? I mean, Julio Jones has more yards per game than anybody besides Odell Beckham, who hasn't really played that long in NFL history. And Jones, every single year, 1,500 yards, 1,800, 1,400, 1,400. You know you're getting that. The issue is the touchdowns, right? Let's look at Chris Carter at this point in his age. He's got 49 touchdowns, eight seasons in, and then what does he do? 17 touchdowns, 10, 13, 12, 13, and five straight years. I'm not saying Jones is going to do that. I'm just saying that these touchdown sample sizes for elite wide receivers like Jones, 
We don't have a big enough sample size to say this is who he is. He is absolutely dominant. If he wants to start catching touchdowns, he's going to start catching touchdowns. I know I'm getting the yards, and I've got the upside for him to be the best player in fantasy football. I'm taking him in the top six or seven in my drafts. I don't care what you say. You're not going to hear an argument from me on Julio Jones. He's the best wide receiver in the game. I mean, I know I know Antonio Brown. People are going to yell at me for that one, but Julio Jones is he's a freak, and uh, it might actually help that Calvin Ridley's there because Calvin Ridley it might actually attract some attention uh, on his side of the field because he's happens to be really good as well. I mean, I don't know, Sig, where are you at on that? Do you think that Calvin Ridley caps Julio's upside, or do you think that him and Matt Ryan have enough chemistry where it's like Julio's going to get his, and he might you know end up scoring more touchdowns this season? I think it doesn't. I don't think it helps Julio because having another viable target out there looks like the Rams approach where you say, okay, well, you can just take away Julio Jones because now we have players that we can beat you with in other parts of the field. I think the bigger question here is whether the offense bounces back from the lows of Steve Sarkeesian and they're not going to get back to the Kyle Shanahan 2016 levels. But if the offense as a whole functions better, because you do have offensive line continuity, you have a great set of running backs, you have Matt Ryan. So if the offense just gets better in year number two under Steve Sarkeesian, the Julio Jones pick could work out. All right, Sig, let's go to you for your number two. Uh, and then we'll move on and we'll each give our last ones. Pierre Garcon. <laughs> I mean, San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo. Look at what they did in the last five games of the season with him. Uh, think about what even Garcon did, I believe, as a number one receiver in a Kyle Shanahan offense. Uh, and it, it seems to me like the, the the higher range of outcomes for him is triple digit catches in this offense. Uh, that's It seems like easy to want to take him a layup where he's going. Yeah, it, it was weird that they didn't draft a, a wide receiver that would walk into a role. I mean, because the thing is, is like, I know Dante Pettis, um, obviously they traded up to get him. I don't know if he's going to walk into like a significant role. And I'm, I'm kind of confused at what San Francisco is doing here. And I understand that Kyle Shanahan, he said, he's like, you don't need the alpha wide receiver in today's NFL. He's like, if you have it, great. You know, I had Julio Jones. That's that's great. He's like, but you don't need it as long as you have guys who can do their job. Uh, and I think Marquise Goodwin, I think we know what he does well. Pierre Garçon has become that possession style receiver. But where does that put Dante Pettis in the mix, you know, with Trent Taylor? Are they going to mix those guys in? I worry a little bit about Pierre Garçon's ceiling, and it, it's kind of been that way with Garçon. He's never been a touchdown guy, um, but with you know with Jimmy Garoppolo, I would think he's a safer low end wide receiver three. Um, but the question is, is how high do you think his ceiling is? I think his ceiling is right there where Larry Fitzgerald was last year, right? I mean, Sig just mentioned it. He could have a hundred receptions. Right last season, Fitzgerald had a hundred nine receptions, uh, and because of that, eleven fifty six yards, six touchdowns. Um, that's not a bad ceiling. That's a, that's a wide receiver number one, guys. Oh, I mean, if he can do a Larry Fitzgerald season, I'd be shocked. Because I mean, I, I mean, I know last year it's hard to take away from that because he wasn't playing with Jimmy Garoppolo. But um, I just I don't think that they're going to ask anybody in this offense to step up and be that you know 130, 140 target guy. I think it's just, I I really do think it's going to be a mix. And I think Marquise Goodwin being on the field with Jimmy Garoppolo last year for the time that he was, he kind of developed that relationship and those two kind of hit it off. Marquise Goodwin, I think, was a top 12 wide receiver uh, when Jimmy Garoppolo was starting. So I don't think that he totally abandons him either. And by the way, how is Jarek McKinnon going to get like 80 receptions or whatever that beat reporter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is is uh, expecting? So, you know, when you kind of look at everything, it's tough for me to find a whole bunch of targets for Garcon. But though I do think he's safe, it's just... Again, it comes back to how do you want to build your team? Like, I think Sig is just like that veteran guy. He wants Julian Edelman. He wants Pierre Garçon. Those are proven producers where it's like, you know, you look at Corey Davis, you look at Devontae Parker. These are guys that aren't going to be as safe as those guys, but they have, you know, higher upside. Well, the last time Pierre Garçon played a full season with Kyle Shanahan, he had 167 fantasy points. 
Last year, Larry Fitzgerald had 152. Well, Pierre Garçon was also like, you know, six years younger. <laughs> he was a few years younger, yeah. <laughs> All right, Tags, who's your final guy, man? Yeah, my guy that I wanted to mention, uh, Sterling Shepard. So Sterling Shepard, um, he's the number 43 wide receiver in the consensus right now. I think that's too low. If you go back and you look at the Vikings under Pat Shermer, most people forget this, is that Norv Turner left mid-season, and then all of a sudden, you know, Adam Thielen broke out, you had Stephon Diggs going off, and then last year you look at it, and Adam Thielen continued that success because he saw 143 targets. And if you go back to 2016, you would see that Stephon Diggs, when he was playing, was playing a lot more of slot. The reason that Adam Thielen got into the slot later in the year was because Stephon Diggs was hurt throughout that year. So what ties this all together? The slot receiver in Pat Shermer's offense has been magical. We know that Sterling Shepard, even though that there were the injuries to Odell Beckham, to Brandon Marshall, everybody last year, Sterling Shepard still played over 80% of his snaps out of the slot the last two years. So he's staying in the slot. Odell Beckham obviously gets a lot of attention on the perimeter. You have Evan Ingram to pull away some attention from him. You now have Saquon Barkley. Sterling Shepard is all of a sudden the forgotten man in this offense. But I think that Pat Schirmer's offense is going to play to his strengths more than it's going to play into someone like Odell Beckham's. And it's not to say that, you know, Beckham's can't produce because he's going to. But I think people are undervaluing Sterling Shepard right now. That's fair. I think 43 might be a little bit too low, but like... It doesn't matter what the offense does. Beckham's going to get the ball. And I agree. I think Ingram takes a step back. And so I think Shepard improves. But like it's the same thing we've been talking about with some of these other guys. How many yards and targets are there to go around with Eli Manning? We're talking about Eli Manning. I think it changes, man. I think it's a competent offense this okay. year. And and Shepard showed the ability, even with uh, Brandon Marshall on the field, even with Beckham for a game. Um, he had one, two, three, four games with seven catches or more. Uh, last season so he's shown us he's able to produce like he has some chemistry with Eli Manning even though Eli Manning was awful last year uh, I wouldn't I I shouldn't even say awful like he was he was below par Um, but I'm just saying that Sterling Shepard showed in let's pretend let's not pretend that Odell Beckham hasn't missed time with injuries before either if he's not the same player coming back from injury if he gets nicked up has a soft tissue injury all of a sudden Sterling Shepard is a guy that you want in your lineup every single week so you don't have to draft him like that Uh, his ADP is outside the top 40 so you're able to get him as a bench wide receiver and I have a feeling that people are underestimating the Giants offense with Pat Shermer I think he does change the entire atmosphere there and I think that it's actually going to be a team that produces a lot of fantasy points over under 20 interceptions for Eli Manning under under he's got 230 for his career man (laughs) I say under Sig what's your take on the Giants before we get out of here I, I know Bobby's got one more but what's your take on the Giants offense in 2018 Well, Eli seems to be undervalued because if Odell Beckham is Odell Beckham and Evan Ingram is Evan Ingram, et cetera, even Sterling Shepard at an ADP that might be too low and Saquon Barkley, then you add up the numbers and Eli Manning is too low. And this is another one of those situations where, like the Rams, how much better will this offense be? You add Nate Solder, uh, you add Will Hernandez, you add Pat Shermer, you also add a coach whether it's Pat Shermer or anybody else that isn't Ben McAdoo, okay? Much like Jeff Fisher, I think this team was demoralized. I think from what we could see last year, they were basically playing, going through the motions. Uh, The team issued a statement to the effect of, we are going to fire Ben McAdoo, but as an organization, we just don't fire coaches midseason. So how much was this team really playing for him and of course we saw the air go out of the balloon in the offense without Odell Beckham so I we're going to see a lot better offense the question is how much better but that makes all of the Giants exciting propositions 
For the people that I ticked off by saying Eli Manning's going to have 20-plus interceptions, you guys will be happy to hear. I won't be surprised at all if the Giants make the playoffs. I think they've got that kind of talent on their roster, and I think there is going to be a big improvement offensively and defensively. I've actually got them as my number 13 DST right now, so I do like the Giants. I just I think Eli's obviously on the back end of his career. Well, by the way, Eli hasn't thrown more than 16 interceptions since 2013. Last year, surprisingly, he only had 13 interceptions. Like I said, he wasn't as bad as some think last year, but I, th- I just think that team, and I agree with you, I think that they're a dark horse to be a playoff team. I mean, the NFC is so good, though. That's the thing. It's, like, it's going to be tough for you know a team to, to make it in there, especially when they have the Eagles in their division, but I think they're going to be a lot better. Well, they're better than the Cowboys. Oh, obviously, but they're going to, that's what I'm saying is they're going to be a lot better team than people are like, you know, might think. Yeah. I was just throwing that in there because all the, I always get so much hate from Giants fans. And the thing is like, yeah, they were bad last year. I think Eli is extremely overrated, but like, you know, I'm saying, I'm saying you guys are better than the Cowboys. Okay. Take it easy on me this time. All right. I do have one more and then Sig's going to close us out. Uh, my final name. I can't decide. I'm just going to say them both. I can't decide between Chris Godwin, who's the starter now for Jameis Winston, uh, and Josh Doxson, who was just shut down last year by the number one cornerback in every single game, it seemed like. I can't believe he put up the stats he put up against the matchups he had. It was by far the hardest schedule of any wide receiver out there. And it was Josh Doxson getting thrown into the fire. Yeah, but I mean, he was thrown into tight coverage quite a bit. Uh, and that's the thing is like Alex Smith hasn't been a risk taker over his career. And, and if you look at NFL's next gen stats, uh, he throws into uh, tight windows the lowest amount in the NFL. Uh, he just avoids, and that's why his interception numbers are so low. So Doxon needs to show that he can create separation. It's not to say that he can't, because as you mentioned, he had a really tough schedule. But I, I do like the Godwin one. Well, Doxon's better than wide receiver 50, right? Mm, I mean, th- th- this thing is like once you start looking at the wide receivers, like the actual players that are in that range, I mean, it's like, there's other players in that range that definitely can outproduce him. I just like Jamison Crowder quite a okay. bit, so it's going to lower him. Okay. Um, but Tampa Bay, the reason I say Godwin's a good one, he's young. He's shown upside. Like over the last few weeks in the year, like he's he was phenomenal. It's very possible that he moves into like the number two target among wide receivers behind Mike Evans. I still think Deshaun Jackson's there, but it might not matter. Why? Because last year, when you look at Tampa Bay, and actually over the last couple of years. The slot receiver role, Adam Humphreys, has seen 83 targets in each of those seasons. So it's not crazy to think, let's dial back to Sean Jackson's targets a little bit, maybe take a little bit off Mike Evans's plate. And all of a sudden, we're talking about Chris Godwin as a 100-target wide receiver if he starts the season as you know one of the starters. So I-, I like that one. I think there's real upside with him. ECR 69. I'm going to be having so many shares of Godwin, uh, Terrell Williams, ECR 70, and Geronimo Allison 74. Like Those three are gimmies. All right, Sig, what do you think about uh, Godwin and Doxon? Godwin is fine at the late part of your draft because he's an ascendant player. Uh, all His play late last year, all the buzz from the coaches, his talent, uh, we don't know how good he can be in his second year. Uh, Doxon, I think that we need to see, and at least we're hearing a, an emphasis on the idea of uh, Alex Smith throwing to receivers that uh, don't have a lot of separation, and think that Jordan Reed's health is going to be important here, because we Reed and Doxon, one of the two of them should be the favorite red zone target, and, and that could be a key there. But again, I, I do think Washington is an offense that, if we look at the production, the size of the fantasy pie last year in the running and passing games, it's likely to be larger this year and where you decide the biggest growth is going to be might be the point of contention but looking in that offense for someone that's going to outperform ADP is a good idea yeah you know and they just got Paul Richardson as well they just had a running back in the draft uh, you talked about Jordan Reed coming back so and there are some question marks there for sure I like Doxon's upside a little bit uh, so Sig let's finish off with you who is your last 
undervalued player right now. Well, I may regret it, but I always want an opportunity to give Smokey Brown some love. There you, you know? go. And we alluded to this uh, a little bit talking about draft strategy and how draft strategy can make a player undervalued or overvalued uh, more than whether that you'd like them to produce at the level that is expected or not. And I look for players that I'm going to take late in my draft that in the first two or three weeks, I'm either going to have something or I'm going to cut them and move on. And I think John Brown, he fits that perfectly because we know he can play. That's not the question. John Brown can play. Uh, he's going to have tons of opportunity. He's the best receiver for the uh, big arm quarterback. And uh, as long as the sickle cell related nagging injuries that have really sapped in a fantasy value the last two years don't pop up this year, you're going to have somebody that at the very least you like as a matchup play or as a, a, an upside flex play. And then we wait to see. But if I can get someone with John Brown's track record of being an excellent player in a situation where he's going to have a ton of opportunity. I'll take him well ahead, you know, two, three, four rounds ahead of where you can get him. Now I'm sure he's not getting drafted in every draft, basically. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to take John Brown as part of my team and we'll see where it goes. It's not like he's old either. He's just 28 years old. And uh, you remember in 2015, he started 11 games, had over a thousand yards. Yeah, no, John Brown, I, I we're rooting for him. You know, a uh, friend of the show, we had him on the show last year, and um, the the health issues, I'm just rooting for him as a person. Seemed like a really good guy. Um, but yes, the talent's always been there. And honestly, for as much as we trash Joe Flacco for not being an elite quarterback, if there's one thing he does well, he can chuck the deep ball. He's got an arm to get it downfield, and John Brown's got the speed to do it. Uh, so... Plus, he's going to throw 600 times. Well, That's just what Joe Flacco does. Right. Last year was weird. Like, the Ravens, um, they they dialed back the pass attempts a whole lot. It was it was really rare. Well, only in weeks one and two, though, man. After that, it was completely normal. He was throwing as much per game weeks three to 17 as he did the year before. He was just playing with a back injury in, in weeks one and two. Yeah, 565 pass attempts last year. So, I mean, they, they dropped down because they're usually in that 600 to 610 range. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, Michael Crabtree being there, they drafted a couple receivers. They drafted a couple tight ends. Um, there's so many like mouths to feed there but John Brown was someone they they signed at the beginning of the free agency too so it wasn't like it was a like he was just waiting around to try and land a job he was one of the first signings in free agency all right guys well that's all for today's show sig really appreciate you coming on lots of fun as always always a pleasure guys i afford any opportunity to appear here and remember guys we've got the Todd Gurley jersey giveaway going on right now all you have to do subscribe and review on iTunes take a screenshot send it to us at contest at fantasypros.com before the weekend so we're going to choose a winner and thanks again to the sponsor of today's show, Draft.com. If you use FantasyPros.com slash offer and deposit $10, you're going to get a six-month free upgrade to our highest premium package. For Mike Tagliere, I'm Bobby Sylvester. Thanks for listening, and enjoy your football. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve.